Okay, we are in the, in the book of Joshua chapter 10, and we just finished a lot of Joshua chapter 10 last week, and, uh, um, but we're gonna, I just want to focus in on, on one verse right now in Joshua chapter 10, and that's verse 42. It says, Joshua captured all these kings and their lands at one time because the Lord, the God of Israel, fought for Israel. So Joshua and all Israel with him returned to the camp at Gilgal. Okay, so just giving you a update on, on where we were. So remember, they came in through here. They, they first conquered Jericho, then set up camp at Gilgal. Then came up, they comp- conquered Ai and the neighboring town at Bethel. Bethel didn't have its own king. The king of Ai was also king of Bethel, it seems. And then they, then they came around, and all these kings, a lot of these kings gathered together to fight them. And they were, they, they were staying in this valley, and, and uh, uh, God told, told Joshua to march on up and attack them, and he attacked them by surprise. And he went on over and just conquered one town after another, went going on around conquering one town after another. And, uh, uh, and then there was also the, the, uh, um, one of the, these kings of, of Gath came in and also helped, but he conquered several of these towns. And after they, they, they conquered many of these towns and they took over many of these cities, uh, they didn't give us any detail on Hebron. In, in chapter 14, we're going to get a lot more details on how that conquering of Hebron had taken place. Uh, how it eventually took place. They never overcame Jerusalem. They didn't do an attack on Jerusalem. And that's a very well fortified city. Very hard to attack there. Then they went back to Gilgal. And now these kings of the north are going to gather together. The kings of the north are going to gather together as we'll see. And, and uh, uh, so kings all above, all, all in this area around the Sea of Galilee up here, Sea of Chinneret, on the southern part of it, on the northern part of it, to the to the uh, west of it and to the east of it, and they're all going to gather at that that lake right up there, that small one right up there, and uh, uh, we're going to see that they're going to the attack is going to take place at that lake. All right. So in verse 42, it said Joshua captured all these kings in their lands at one time, speaking of the southern portion. <coughs> Because the Lord, the God of Israel, fought for Israel. I want you to remember what this says. He conquered them because the Lord, the God of Israel, fought for Israel. He conquered because the God of Israel was fighting for Israel. That is why He conquered. There is a prevailing in the Lord that is not done in the flesh. As believers, it is when God is on our side, when we are going about things, in God's way, the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. This was not a fight that was their own, not at all. This was the Lord, the God of Israel, fighting for Israel. So now let's turn over to Joshua chapter 11. Then it came about when Jobin, king of Hazor, heard of it, that he sent to Jobab, king of Madon, and to the king of Shimron, and to the king of Akshaph, and to the kings who were in the north, in the hill country, and in Arabah, south of Chinnereth, and in the lowland, and on the height of Dor, and on the west, to the Canaanite, to the east, and to the west, to the Amorite, to the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite, in the hill country, and the Hivite, at the foot of Hermon, in the land of Mizpah. Then came, they came out, 
they and all their armies with them, as many people as the sand on the seashore, with very many horses and chariots. So all of these kings, having agreed, having agreed to meet, came and encamped together at the waters of Maram to fight against Israel. So, this is, this is the water of Miram right up here. Here's the Hazer, king of Hazer. This is the guy who organized all of this. So, he got all these kings from this whole northern region to gather together. And they are camped right out around this, uh, that lake there, Miram. And, and uh, it says of their numbers that there were more than the sand of the seashore. As, as many people as the sand of the seashore which is a common expression in the Old Testament when it's talking about very large numbers that you wouldn't even want to try to count. Now, it is determinable. It was a finite number, but it's a number so large you don't even want to try to count it. There were so many people gathered in that army. And they were going to gather together. They had seen the whole, that whole southern portion get conquered. They are gathering together and just like five kings had gathered together on the south to fight Israel, Israel overcame them, took them by stealth, took them by surprise. Now these kings of the north are going to gather together. Verse 6, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid because of them, for tomorrow at this time I will deliver all of them slain before Israel, and you shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots. Again, hamstringing a horse just made it fine for domestic use, but it couldn't be used in battle anymore, couldn't run, and, and uh, um, the chariots were burned because in Deuteronomy 17 it said, do not accumulate horses and chariots, you are dependent upon the Lord. So Joshua and all the people of war with him came upon them suddenly by the waters of Merom and attacked them. So you see that these gathered to fight Joshua and again he attacked them by stealth. He came upon them when they were unaware. And so they're probably spread out. Their swords are every other place. They're not, they're not uh, ready for battle. They're just accumulating things and they're thinking about strategies. And all of a sudden, they have the, these forces of Israel that had marched up from Gilgal. So this is Gilgal where they, where they were. So they marched all the way up. We don't know if they went up on, on, uh, on the east side of the Jordan or on the west side, but they marched right up there and took them by, by surprise. They attacked them at the waters of Miram where they had gathered. Verse 8, The Lord delivered them into the hand of Israel so that they defeated them and pursued them as far as the great, as far as great Sidon and Misrapath Maim in the valley of Mizpah to the east. And they struck them until no survivor was left. Joshua did to them as the Lord had told him. He hamstrung their horses and he burned their chariots with fire. Then Joshua turned back at that time and captured Hazor and struck its king with the sword. For Hazor formerly was the head of all these kingdoms. They struck every person who was in it with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying them. There was no one left who breathed. And he burned Hazor with fire. Joshua captured all the cities of these kings and all their kings, and he struck them with the edge of the sword and utterly destroyed them, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded. And we covered multiple times why this was occurring, why they were killing every person. God had told them more than 400 years ago, more than 400 years ago, because it was 400 years in Egypt, it was also the life of Abram and the life of Isaac, 
So it could well have been near 600 years. He said their iniquity is not yet filled up, he said in the book of Genesis. So he gave them almost 600 years to repent. So if you think God is hard on people, how long have you, have you ever waited 600 years patiently for someone to repent? No. You get frustrated after six minutes. All right? This, the Lord waited 600 years until their iniquity was filled up. So he's quite able to do these sorts of things. Now I want, to, want to, to go on down in verse 18. It says, Joshua waged war a long time with all these kings. So we get the picture from the top that, oh, this happened all of a sudden and he conquered. No, this was years of battling with them. This was not a quick battle. So this was years of battling. In fact, the total time that he was conquering this land was near seven years. This lower one came very quickly. This upper one took a long time to do all these things. What he gave us at the top of this chapter was merely a summary statement. You know, the, the abstract. He won. And then he fills it in in these, in these surrounding chapters of, to some of the details of what was happening. So, so uh, um, if, we, if we go on down to, to Joshua chapter 11, verse 22, it says... There were no Anakim left in the land of the sons of Israel. Only in Gaza, in Gath, and in Ashdod, some remained. So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had spoken to Moses. And Joshua gave it for an inheritance to Israel according to their division by their tribes. Thus the, Lord, thus the land had, had rest from war. And again, this is a synopsis. And he's going to give us more detail. The, the partitioning of the land took a long time. And there were many other battles. But it says there were no more Anakim, Anakim, no more Anakim left in the land of the sons of Israel. Only in Gaza, Gath, and Ashdod. So this is Ashdod, this is Gaza, and we have Gath. Ashdod, Gaza, and Gath. And there was a five city-states of the Philistines. You also have the Ashkelon was among them and Ekron. Those were the five city-states of the Philistines. We've seen that before where, where, where um, uh, David is battling a lot and you have these five city-states of the Philistines. So the Anakim were also among, the, uh, among those people. Now, who were the Anakim? Why are they so special? Why should I care about Anakim of all these people? Well, if you look in, 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 in Deuteronomy chapter 2, in Deuteronomy chapter 2, it talks about the Anakim. And it tells us something about them, why, why, why it, it kept mentioning them. So in Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse, verse uh, uh, 10, it says, The Emim lived there formerly, a people as great, numerous, and tall as Anakim. So the Anakim were extremely large people. It wasn't just, you know, they were just one or two of them. No, they were very large people. And uh, uh, there, there was, uh, um, they, they caused great fear among Israel. So in, in, in Deuteronomy chapter 1, Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 28, it, it, it talks more about them as well. In Deuteronomy chapter 1, well, we'll start, we'll start reading, um, uh, say, around... Okay, we can, we can pick it up at, at 28. So, so M Moses is telling them and reminding them of an instance where he had sent uh, uh, people into the land. And uh, let, let, let's just...
start reading at verse 28. Where can, where can we go up? Our brethren have made our hearts melt, saying, The people are bigger and taller than we. The cities are large and fortified to heaven. And besides, we saw the sons of Anakim there. Okay, so again, they keep picking out these Anakim. These people were large people, and they were afraid of them. So if we turn back to Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13 is the, is the chapter where they had first gone into the land. Where they had first gone into the land, and uh, uh, Moses had sent out spies into the land. So if you don't know this story, let me tell you the story. They had just come out of Egypt. They were only out of Egypt for about 40 days. And they go to try to take the land. They had just come out of Egypt. Down here is Egypt. They had come out and they were going to go up right through here, Kadesh Barnea, and right up into the land. And, God, and, and Moses sent out 12 spies, one from each, each tribe. So he sent out 12 spies, leaders from each tribe, to spy out the land. And then when they came back, they gave a report. And so let's, let's pick it up in verse 25. Numbers chapter 13, verse 25. When they returned from spying out the land at the end of 40 days, they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and they showed them the fruit of the land. Thus they told them and said, We went into the land where you sent us and it certainly does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who live in it, in the land, are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites are living in the hill country, and the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of the Jordan. So these spies went into the land, they come back, and they say, it is everything that God said. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. But, there's a lot of people there. And they're all tough folks. I mean, these are tough guys there. And they start going through them. And he says, the descendants of Anak are there. Anak was huge. And his descendants were huge. These are the folks that, you remember Goliath. David killed Goliath. This guy was nine feet tall. That, those were the only... Aniakim left, and David's men ended up killing Goliath and his brothers. And you can read about that in First and Second Samuel, how he killed all of those men, the remaining ones of Anak. These were huge men. They weren't just, you know, six foot three. They were like eight foot three. I mean, these were huge men, and they were afraid of them. These were the descendants of Anak. They had dealt with some of them on, on, on the... Uh, on the eastern side of the Jordan as well, and killed all of them, because they talk about the size of the bed of one of the kings. And that bed was huge because he was of the descendants, this, this, this same sort of line. So they bring back this report, yes, yeah, saying the land is great, but you know, it's just too much for us. We can't handle this. In verse 30, then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, we should by all means go and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. So Caleb stood up and said, we can take this land. The only two men of the twelve who stood up and said, we can take the land were Joshua and Caleb. They were young men at the time. They were 40 years old at the time. They were in their 40s at the time. Certainly Caleb was in his 40s at the time. Joshua may have been a little bit older, uh, uh, but 
but, but not necessarily. We will see that he will eventually die at 110. Only these two of all of Israel, only these two from 20 years old and upward get into the land. All of them died because of their unbelief. He, he says in verse 31, But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go against the people, for they are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone in spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it were men of great size. There also, there also we saw Nephilim. The sons of Anak are part of Nephilim. And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. This is a lie. This is just a lie. Nephilim are from, from Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6, it talks about the Nephilim. It says the sons of God. These were angels that came and had sex with human women. And there were offspring that were born to them that were really mighty and had these amazing powers. And God was really upset about that. And right after that, he said to, to, to uh, Noah, start building an ark. I'm going to destroy this whole race. And he wiped them out. And then in Jude, the book of Jude in the New Testament, it talks about how there were men, there were angelic beings that overstepped their bounds, that started doing things with women that they never should have done. And God has kept them locked up in, 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 a, in a separate place because of that. But it speaks of these things. So they even projected. It's like when a little kid says, there's a monster in my closet. There's a monster in there. And, and there's not a no, there's a monster in there. And you go around and you, you look. This is exactly what they did. This is exactly our tendency to project upon things to be much bigger problems than they really are. And they hold believers back all the time. Thinking, I cannot do that. I cannot succeed in that. I cannot overcome that. And they build this thing up saying, oh, the sons of Anak, they're part of the Nephilim. This is what they were saying. This is not the Bible saying it's true. The Bible is just quoting them. You have lots of quotes of people in the Bible that are not necessarily true quotes. I, I mean, they're accurate quotes, but the statements themselves are not true. The An Aniakim had nothing to do with the Nephilim. Nephilim were also huge, but they, God had wiped out in the book of Genesis. And that's why when we see in the book of Joshua, they go and they overcome the land. The Anakim they wipe out. You never see anything of the Nephilim. There were no Nephilim there. When Joshua finally goes in, he says, there's no Nephilim here. Yeah, there's the Anakim are here, but not Nephilim. And so you see, they projected this thing. And they kept saying, these men are huge. We can't do it. And here's an interesting verse. And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. When we start looking at ourselves as being defeated, we will be projected in other people's eyes as people who are defeated. We became as grasshoppers in our own eyes, and so we were in their eyes. How you project yourself to yourself, how you take yourself, if you take yourself, if I take myself as defeated, I will be defeated. But if I take myself to say, no, Jesus has died for me. He is my king. If I start projecting this in my own mind, that is actually how I am viewed. That is actually how I am viewed. Remember, the Jewish people are little people. They have little DNA. 
They're not huge people. They're going into the... Now, they have big brains. <laughs> but they're not huge people. And they're going into this land where these men are giants. And they could easily project this upon themselves. And so if you look in, in, in Numbers chapter 14, in Numbers chapter 14, the whole, the whole thing goes on and, it, and, uh, um, and the people start grumbling. They said in verse 1, Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried and the people wept that night. So you have 12 men come back. Ten of the men are giving a bad report saying, we can't do it, we just can't do it, can't have, these guys are huge. Oh, and by the way, there's Nephilim among them too. Nephilim? We thought God wiped those out in the book of Genesis. No, no, they're among them too. So they got the whole congregation crying with them. You have negative people around you, they will get everybody around you down. I hate it in my lab when I got some negative student working in my lab. Because they pull everybody down around them. They tell me all these reasons why what we're doing cannot work. That's very easy to do in science. Give all these reasons why something... And I get Could you tell me why, what laws of thermodynamics would we break in doing that? Ah, blah, 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 blah. Well, if you can't tell me that we'll be violating a law of thermodynamics, then how do you know it's not going to work? Do it! Do it! Try it! You try this reaction and you, you do it. I have had so many times students come to me and give me reasons why reactions don't work. I say, fine, I don't want you touching that reaction because you believe it can't work. It'll never work. I want to find somebody else. And I usually find some young student, brand new student, and I get them trying it. And people are like, wow, he's getting a new guy to try this crazy idea. And all of a sudden it works. And nobody ever comes back and confesses their sins like, wow, I was so wrong. I, 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 they never confess their sins on this. You take this thing up. You don't project upon yourself as being defeated. It says, all the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt or would that we had died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. I mean, these 10 people took a nation of 600,000 men so you, 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 you had at least that many women as well and a bunch of children and they want to go back to Egypt because of the testimony of ten men. They want to turn around and go back to Egypt and you see now what they're projecting. Oh, our wives are going to be, be and our little ones are going to become plunder. And, and you start going all through these bad things that can conquer you. This is what happens when you start thinking about the negative things in life all the time. It would just pull you down. You just go down this spiral. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces in the presence of the assembly of the congregation of the sons of Israel, Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh. Of those who had spied out the land tore their clothes, and they spoke to the whole congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, then He will bring it Bring us into the land and give it to us. A land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. You look at the whole contrast. They will become our prey. 
He's not dwelling on the fact that they're big people. They went into the land and they just ripped up those big people. Because God said He would do that. He said, I'll bring you into the land and, and, uh, and, and they'll turn their backs to you. He said, I'll drive them out with hornets. I'll do all these things for you. You know, I'll conquer in all these ways. I'll make all this happen for you. God had promised them. Look back in, 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 the, in the book of Exodus. In the book of Exodus. So before this account in Numbers, there's, a, there's an account in Exodus where God is speaking and He's speaking the promises in Exodus chapter 23. And uh, we're going to pick it up in verse 27. Exodus 23, 27. This is His promise for them when they're going to enter the land. He said, I will send my terror ahead of you and throw into confusion all the people among whom you come. And I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. And I will send hornets ahead of you so that they will drive out the Hittites, the Canaanites, the Hit. Uh, Drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, the Hittites before you. And now look at this as an interesting verse. Let me first deal with this first part. He says that when you go into the land, I am going to confuse them ahead of you. This is why they could attack them suddenly and there was such confusion. You say, wow, Joshua was so smart. He figured that, no, God set them in confusion ahead of him. God is the one who did this. He, it's exactly how he promised. He says, I'm going to do all this. I'm going to send hornets ahead of you. So these guys were probably like, where are all these bees coming from? I mean, and, and so they were just in total disarray. You know, one fly gets in my house and I'm like, get that thing. And here they had hornets all around them. Just stinging them all over. So, of course, they're confused. And then all of a sudden, the children of Israel are running on, on them. God did this. This was His promise to them. But then He gives another interesting verse in 29 of Exodus 23. Verse 29. I will not drive them out before you in a single year, that the land may not become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. I will drive them out before you little by little until you become fruitful and take possession of the land. Praise God He does this with our lives. I thank God that not many of you in the first year or two after you graduated are going to become millionaires. I thank God that you'll have to work for many years to be successful. <clears throat> because what happens is, <clears throat> if, if, you, if you get to your peak too early, if you get rich too early like a rock star or like a, like, like a, a, a professional basketball player, it really just destroys lives. You never learn how to handle it. You don't know how to handle the accolades. You don't know how to handle the money. You don't know how to deal with relationships. And that's why their, their families are just falling apart all over the place. Just falling apart. It is God's grace that we have to work for this year after year after year to build up a retirement package to be successful. He doesn't grant it in a day or else it says the land will, would overtake you. He says, he says that, 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 uh, um, that the beasts of the, of the field become too numerous for you. If it happens too early in life, you say, if God's with me, why do I have to work so hard? Why do I have to you know, work for 30 years? I mean, some people get... You don't want to get rich too early. You don't want to get rich too early. It'll mess you up. You want to work for this so that you learn an appreciation or else the beasts of the field will become too numerous for you. 
That means all these little dastardly things in your life will overtake you. You'll start thinking more of yourself than you ought to. It is the failures that God allows in our lives that keep us from, from, from getting too inflated. And this is a good thing. Because when we become too inflated, there's all these other trashy things that end up filling our lives and our marriages and our families. God knows exactly what He is doing with our lives. He brings it upon us little by little. But He speaks to us. He speaks to us that there is a conquering in Jesus Christ. But it doesn't happen overnight. But we can't look at ourselves as being just grasshoppers. Yes, there's big things we have to face. God has given us a spirit of conquer. This is what He's given us. Given us, And the New Testament is full of, 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 of passages where we are more than conquerors through Christ who died for us. We are more than conquerors. There are many things that happen to us in life. And there are setbacks. For sure there are setbacks. But we take hold of verses. God speaks to us with verses. And I want to close with this verse in Romans chapter 9. I'm going to close with this passage in Romans chapter 9 because it gives us something to hold on to when troubled times come. Romans chapter 9 verse 14 says this, What shall we say then? There is no injustice, there's no injustice with God. Is there? May it never be. There is no injustice with God. If you walk with God, there is no injustice with God. We may not receive what we think we should get. We may not get it when we think we should get it. We may undergo some devastation in our life, but there is no injustice with God. Remember that. There is no injustice with God. He says, there is no injustice with God. Is there? May it never be. The Scriptures do not know how to put it more emphatically. There's no way to put it more emphatically than for the Scriptures to say, may it never be. There is no injustice with God. God knows exactly what He, was do- what he is doing. You didn't get the position you thought you should get. You didn't get the position you thought you deserved. The other person got it. Welcome to my life. This happens all the time. But I go back to this. There is no injustice with God. Had we, He wanted me to have that, there is no way they could have held it back from me. They would have said, we don't want Tor to have that, but we can't help it. He's going to get it. If God wanted me to get that, He would have gotten it for me. There is no injustice with God. May it never be. There is no injustice with God. We are not to look at ourselves as being defeated. If, you look, if we look at ourselves as grasshoppers in our own sight, so we will be in other sight. We look at ourselves as more than conquerors in Christ who's loved us. This is how we are to look at ourselves. Okay? Let's, let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much, Lord, for what you've blessed us with. And Lord, I pray for these young people that you would build them up so that they wouldn't cast upon themselves things that aren't even true, saying that there's Nephilim in the land. Father, I pray that in their lives they will see a conquering, that they would remember this message. 
Father, cause them to remember this message, I pray. That they would excel and conquer. Father, I pray for your grace upon these young people. And when they, it doesn't come as fast as they had hoped, when they don't get the positions that they thought that they deserved, Father, I pray that they would fall back on this verse, that there is no injustice with the Lord. There is no injustice with the Lord. Father, build them up firm in you. And Father, I pray for those in this class that do not know you, that have never bowed their knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that this day they would say, Lord Jesus, forgive me because I am a sinner. Forgive me and come into my life, I pray. And Lord, I lift them up to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.